Welcome to the Center for the Advancement of Virtual Organizations podcast, The Staying Power of Virtual Work. My name is Elizabeth Kemp Calder, and I'm the President and Chief Brand Strategist at Phoenix Lifestyle Marketing Group. Today, I'm joined by Deborah Denichenzo, author of Remote Leadership, Successfully Leading Work from Anywhere in Hybrid Teams, and President of Virtual Works. Today, our discussion will focus on virtual and hybrid work formats and the impact each has on our organizations and our employees. Welcome, Deborah, and thanks so much for taking the time to chat today. Well, thank you, Elizabeth. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Wonderful. Deborah, please get us started by sharing a little bit about yourself. Certainly. Um, I've been in the virtual workspace for a very long time. I published my first book, 101 Tips for Telecommuters, way back in 1999, before anybody really knew what telecommuting was. And so um, I'm ecstatic about how things have evolved and how many more enablers there are now. But uh, prior to starting my business uh, and publishing my first book, I was a telecommuting executive. So I managed uh, teams and organizations that were highly dispersed. And uh, I had a picture tell video conferencing system in my home office near Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, for one of the companies that I worked for. And um, so, I mean, back in the day, those systems required the installation of two ISDN lines to make them work. So things have really evolved. And uh, I have been working uh, with virtual work since that time. And uh, we provide training resources and consulting and um, services for organizations that are in the past have been moving to virtual work uh, types of, um, we didn't call it hybrid until just recently. And um, so that's what I've been doing for the past 20 years or so. Well, that is wonderful. Thanks. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for the work that you do in this space. Uh, As a founder of a company that was built upon the promise and the premise of remote work, um, having um, folks like yourself that have this area of expertise and help to move this uh, virtual approach forward um, is something that's dear, near and dear to my heart. Same here, actually. <laughs> <laughs> in, in what ways has virtual work, from your perspective, transformed today's workplace and today's workers? Well, certainly the transformation has been on steroids in the last couple of years with the pandemic. But um, so where we are now is uh, there's a much greater openness to and demand for remote work and greater flexibility. Uh, You know, the pandemic provided a gigantic wake-up call, an opportunity for reflection. So we have... Mostly what you read about are employees who want more flexibility and more um, opportunity for work-life balance. But I've been interviewing very senior leaders um, for a new program that we're launching. And I have been really stunned to discover how many CEOs and very senior vice president types uh, who have had to do this for the last couple of years have really enjoyed it themselves. They can't really say that publicly. And they sometimes have boards of directors who are insisting that people get back into the office. So there's really been a sea change 
um, in ways that we really haven't seen how that's going to manifest fully. But I also think we all have come through this with greater insight about when it's really necessary to be face-to-face. Now, that's going to manifest once, once we have moved back to the traditional workplace, albeit in a hybrid way. That's going to manifest, I think, in much more thoughtfulness about when we are going to um, spend money on travel. Is Think about all of the years that many of us would get on a plane, fly an hour and a half, two hours, rent a car, have an hour and a half meeting, and then return. And a whole day is gone for a 90-minute meeting. We're going to really give that serious thought before we do that in the future. So I think um, much greater awareness has resulted, much greater openness. The problem right now is, and people ask me all the time, so what's this hybrid thing going to look like? And, you know, my answer is we're still figuring it out. We don't know, and there's not going to be a one-size-fits-all. Absolutely. And I think that it's important that you know uh, um, that it's not just at, it's really at every level of organization. It's not just at the lower or the middle management level, but in leadership. I recently um, was attending a board meeting with a number of other uh, C-suite professionals, and we had a very similar discussion about the time that it would take to attend a 90 minute or a two hour meeting, especially for those of us who are doing work globally. When you consider how oh, much yes. you're traveling to get to face to face to have those types of meetings. And it's really inefficient and ineffective use of not just time as a resource, but um, the other implications as well. So that was a really great. Right. Point. Oh, the cost. And even, you know, certainly we're going to re- reconsider the cost of real estate, which is a huge expense in many organizations. And do we need all that real estate? And so, yeah, we're going to look back and say, oh my gosh, we used to travel all around the whole planet and, that was so, so unnecessary and will continue to be unnecessary in the future. I can imagine those discussions with those folks who will come into the workplace and not have experienced any of, the, any of this pre-transition mode and they will be in disbelief. About right, right, we'll tell them, yes, we'll tell them stories about our trips to Hong Kong and, and you know, 24 hour, 25 hour trips back and they'll think we were crazy. And maybe <laughs> we were. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, well, on that note um, about how um, not necessarily understanding like what the com- end state will be, um, there, how are the principles of virtual work, how can those be applied for all employees, whether they work from home, hybrid, or in office? Is, are there potential drawbacks to applying across the board? Yeah, I think right now, I mean, my big message is in, in order to you know, apply some of this to everyone, the, the biggest impact is going to really be, I think, and I've been talking about this for a long time, you know, probably a couple of decades, where I've been saying that the biggest upside to remote work, virtual work, telework, whatever you want to call it, um, is performance management. And how we manage performance. Because, you know, in the old days when everybody went into the office, I used to joke and say, you know, people, supervisors and managers would assume just because people were there and they were at their desks and they had their eyes opened and appeared to have a blood pressure, they must be working on the right things for us. And so when people are more dispersed, then 
we and we don't have the just you know eyes on people thing. Uh, we don't have the easy just drop by and say, "Hey, could you just let me know? Tell me again what you were thinking about this." Um, performance management takes on a whole other emphasis, and it's the right emphasis. It's clarity on purpose, clearly communicating outcomes, deliverables, and expectations and communicating how we're going to measure and monitor that, which is exactly what we should have been doing with our performance management systems all along. And so I think that's one of the the main things that we will take from this, we will learn from this, we will apply across any work mode, whether people are working from home, whether they're doing hybrid work, and right now, for me, hybrid just means sometimes people are going to be in in the workplace and sometimes they're not. And we can never assume everyone's already always there. So I just interviewed a CEO for this program that we're working on. And um, he said, well, you know, um, much as we really liked having everyone together in our Baltimore office, we used to have 30,000 square feet. During the pandemic, we downsized to 6,000. We can't ever bring everybody together in one place in that office ever again, even if we wanted to. So if they needed to have all those people together, they're going to have to overtly find a place to do that. And they're going to have to be conscious of why they're doing that because um, they'll have to rent something, right? So um, so in terms of drawbacks, um, I, I do still hear concerns about culture, concerns about our ability to be innovative, um, and concerns about the, the synergy of the team. So culture is interesting. And I always push back and say, well, you know, how did you know ever, you had a really aligned culture before? And I get some very strange answers uh, about, well, you know, we used to build culture with our interns and our new people and, you know, would uh, go out to dinner and then would go axe throwing. It's what? I mean, that that's how you. OK, so there's something about rapport. I get that. But culture was never as conscious it was this kind of go with the flowy kind of thing. And now we have to bring so much more consciousness to all of those things. Um, and team building, that's an interesting thing because I actually think there are higher levels of familiarity, which is really part of building trust and building a team coming out of the pandemic where people shared at a human level in ways that we hadn't done before. People met each other's children, their pets, they saw their home environments, forgetting about potential concerns about privacy, of which we heard very little during the pandemic, right? Um, and I've seen the CEO of Forbes do a webinar from his kitchen. So, you know, we are much more tolerant of each other, much more open. And on, on terms of innovation, I think we are advancing many more tools, tech tools that to enable that. And um, so I think many of the drawbacks are we're going to overcome, but there are still some other barriers and some of that's just some of the things that we liked about the way things were. Right. And I, I believe that change, change is scary sometimes and oh, without have the question. tendency to be opposed to it. But from, you know, folks um, from, from your vantage point and from mine who have run organizations virtually prior to the pandemic, we know that 
there's a transition and a learning and there's an evolution. Um, but all of these things can be achieved and be effective. Um, what would you say that um, are the main reasons why many organizations continue to re- resist virtual or hybrid work or are, are um, focused, so focused on returning back to the brick and mortar uh, location? Well, that's really interesting because since I've had this opportunity to interview so many leaders, it's really um, been interesting. And one of the main things that I hear from them is that they really miss, I mean, this harkens back to, remember, Tom Peters in Search of Excellence, which has been out for a long time, but the managing by wandering around. And they miss that a lot. And they haven't figured out how to do that Uh, remotely nearly as well or as comfortably as they did it before. So I've had, I've had CEOs tell me, you know, I, I would just kind of wander by and I could, I, I could have a sense of how everybody was doing, or I could look at people and really get a good vibe about, um, you know, if something was bothering them. So it's really admirable that leaders want to do that. They want to wander around. So I'm currently working on a a strategy whereby they can wander around more comfortably, but do it virtually. And um, I also think a part part of what drives this resistance is the belief that we're we're better, stronger, and more culturally aligned when we're together. Uh, I really... I haven't found any data to support that yet, but I think it's a comfort zone thing. It's what we're familiar with. It's what we, we know we do well, but it's the environment in which we do it well. And so a big part of my work is to say, so, you know, what have you done when you're face to face and how can you move that into the remote space and do it maybe differently, but as well, maybe not as comfortably, um, because we're doing it through technology. And uh, so I think it's the just kind of our feelings about things that lead to resistance. And to your point, Elizabeth, uh, resistant, just resistance to change. So had the, the, had the pandemic truly been the three-week shutdown we thought it was going to be and it was over, this would have been a blip. We wouldn't have had the extended reflection time, uh, realignment time, wake-up call time, um, nor would we have had the length of time to see just how much we could get done really effectively uh, remotely. I talked to one CEO who said, hey, I have to tell you, before the pandemic, there were jobs that we knew absolutely no way could they be done remotely. They were just never on any possible list. And he said, then when the pandemic hit, uh, we had to get everybody out that had to be out. It was a, it was a company that was declared an essential business by the federal government. Um, they make lab equipment for hospitals and medical facilities, so they had to keep working. So they only had the people in manufacturing that, and shipping that had to be there. Everybody else went home. And uh, so I would talk to him probably about 10 months into the pandemic. And he said, so we have been flabbergasted to see how well some of those jobs that we knew couldn't be done remotely are being done. And we're really pleased with how well it's going. Wow. Yeah. So more of those, think about how many of those experiences happened over this extended time of two plus years versus the three weeks we thought it was going to be. 
Absolutely. And I think with so much data on how productive people are when they are in spaces that make them happy or that help them to thrive, and when you have more information about prioritizing the location of the folks that are getting the work done, um, as opposed to what's convenient necess- for those for those of us who are necessarily in charge. It is far more convenient for me to keep tabs on how things are going or have these uh, impromptu conversations in the hallway when someone walks by my office or as I'm wandering around, but it is far more convenient to all of them to be where they can be their best, most productive self. And having that juxtaposition, I think, is also an interesting part of this process. Right. And if we thought about it, um, because I I previously taught a class um, for Duquesne University for for seven years, it was a graduate class on leading in the virtual workplace. And um, yeah, one of my big mantras over the last two decades has been to remind managers and leaders that we need to replicate and simulate what we what we did face-to-face and how to do it remotely. And all of my keynotes, I always say, if there's only one thing you remember from my my talk here is how can we replicate and simulate? How can you replicate and simulate what you have done face-to-face and do it remotely? And so, I, so I'm teaching this class, right, this graduate class, and I'm thinking, okay, well, I have to give them an example of how to do this. And so I, I put up a post. We were using Blackboard at the time. And I put a post up and said, um, we're about three quarters of the way through the class. And I said, uh, so we need to plan our end of class party. Because, you know, in classes when we in the old days, when we would get together every week face to face as the class was wrapping up, sometimes classes would really gel like little mini teams. And, you know, we'd go out for a drink or, you know, lunch or whatever, out to dinner and have a little celebration that the class is over. So I heard nothing for like two or three days. Nobody responded. So I put it up again. I said, hey, seriously, we need to plan our end of class party. Now, this was a completely asynchronous class, um, only posed through Blackboard. And um, so, you know, one one guy posted and said, uh, this is a joke, right? And I said, no, it's not a joke. Interestingly, and I use this as an example for leaders, I had no idea what our end of class party would look like. We'd never done one in the classes I'd taught previously. I just thought it was a good exercise. And I didn't know. I wanted them to create it and come up with it. And um, so we had a really jamming end of class um, event and uh, everybody shipped to my office something that they wanted to, they would contribute to the party. So some premium from their company or, you know, somebody worked for Hanover potato chips and sent bags of potato chips. And then my assistant packed them all up and shipped them out to everybody. And then we had one synchronous event um, and uh, everybody opened their party packs that had been delivered to them. Now, that wasn't probably as much fun as maybe going out together, but we couldn't. I had people all around the planet, military people in different time zones. So, um, but, you know, we, we used our creativity to come up with something that replicated and simulated what sort of what we would do if we were together. Well, I love that. And and, it, and there's so much of that is actually being done now. Uh, we work with many uh, large organizations that are either here domestically or around the United States or across the, uh, across the globe that have to engage with their employees, especially throughout the pandemic. But also when you have 
um, satellite offices and things like that, you, in order to create the idea that we were all together, that you have these kind of uh, experiential gift packs, if you will, and they can either coordinate um, um, opening them together and have some kind of activity. I love what you said here about replicate and simulate and being really intentional about how do you ensure that the things that brought value in the brick or mortar environment could also bring value, but how do you approach them in a virtual or remote environment? So that's fantastic. You've said that virtual workplace isn't a trend, but an inevitability. What does that mean for the future of workplace? Well, I've been saying that for about 12 years, actually. And so now it's really here and the inevitable has arrived. And um, so what I meant all along, and it's certainly true now, is the remote workplace is here to stay for sure. There's no doubt anymore. Um, It's... um, Again, if the lockdown had been three, a mere three weeks, it, it would it would not be the same scenario that we're in right now. And so we will move forward with much more emphasis on being remote first organizations, meaning that we uh, will ass- never assume that everybody or even anybody is there at any point in time. It'll be a much more fluid um, work environment. And we will not take for granted about seeing people face to face. And remote will no longer be the one-off dynamic where it was the remote worker, the telecommuter that was the oddball at the at the meeting where everybody else was around the table. And so, um, so I think you know we will we will much more be shifting to the not everyone is here mode, and that will drive investment in the right tech tools, the right development and training to equip leaders and teams to really work well from a distance, and the right um, reinforcement of systems and processes to enable productive remote work, starting with back to where I started, really strong performance management systems where we're clear about uh, what people need to do, what they need to deliver by when. And um, so that's what it meant. And it's really here now. It absolutely is. And I think that, you know, it's fortunate that we've had this kind of catalyst to push us yes. in this direction because it allows um, business and industry to be prepared for the next gener- future generations of workers who will probably be more inclined to thrive in these environments. By necessity, and and, and in many ways for much greater good, uh, first of all, you know, talent acquisition, uh, and organization is already beginning to see that now. Certainly, um, and, and on the acquisition side, by the way, I am already hearing from managers, although I, I saw that in some select industries in the past where they were starting to hear uh, people saying, you know, asking during interviews, well, you know, how many days a week can I work at home? And if the answer was, I did work with one big company, their answer was, oh, we don't do that here. And then they found, guess what? They weren't able to hire those graduate engineers anymore. And so they had to, they had to implement a a work from home program, which was very painful for these senior engineers, I'm telling, I'm telling you, white hair, pocket protectors for their pens and pencils. Um, they just literally, one of them said to me when we were doing the leadership training, why would anybody want to work from home? 
I mean, they just truly didn't get it. So, and then talent, uh, talent, uh, you know, retention, look at the challenges right now and the great resignation. And, you know, so it's really important for organizations to understand why are people really leaving? Why are they leaving us? What are we doing? What can we do to be better uh, on so many fronts and be stronger for the future? Agreed, agreed. Well, in closing, do you have any additional insights that you can share with our listeners? I would just uh, remind everyone again, I always end with the just think about, and if you don't know as a leader, you're not sure, you've never thought about it, how to do the replicate and simulate, don't be afraid to just put it out there and say, hey, so these are the things we used to do that we miss. I hear from you all, or I miss them myself. Um, I'm not sure, you know, I, I miss wandering around. What are some of the creative ways we can leverage the technology uh, and the tools that we have to replicate and simulate what we had, what we used to do, and to do it now in a different context. So that's always my big leave behind, take away, um, two words, replicate, simulate. I like to keep it simple. I love that replicate and simulate. And I, I love the, the invitation to collaboration and eliciting ideas from your team that it doesn't have to come from, you know, the ivory tower. It can be correct co-creative yep. and that then you can be assured that whatever we're creating is something that's actually going to deliver against what our folks want from us. Right. Much greater buy-in. And there's a lot of power in, you know, the, the humanness of disclosing, you know, I really don't know how to do this either. So let's work on it together. Why don't you all come up with some ideas and bring them back to the, our next meeting? A lot of power Absolutely. in that. Absolutely. So thank you so much, Deborah. But how I want to make sure that our listeners are able to connect with you and obtain a copy of your recent book. How can they get in touch with you? Sure. Um, yes, the the book that uh, I co-authored last year. A quick little side story. My co-author is Jason Morwick. Jason and I knew each other. We've known each other for the, like oh probably about ten years, but we had never met. So when the pandemic hit, um, I called Jason and said, "Hey." would you like to write a book together? And he said, absolutely. So we wrote the book, got it published. And on my Southern sojourn this past winter, I met Jason for the first time. So we, uh, you know, when people say, well, it's really hard to do this stuff if we're not together, I can now say, hey, first of all, writing a book is hard. Actually, co-authoring a book is even harder and we did that without ever having met each other and didn't feel like one of us had to jump in the car or neither of us really wanted to jump on an airplane during the pandemic uh, to get together to brainstorm or strategize. We did all of that remotely and got a book published. And it's called Remote Leadership, Successfully Leading Work from Anywhere in Hybrid Teams. And um, the information about the book is at remoteleadershipbook.com. And there are some... Um, free resources there as well, a virtual meeting checklist and virtual meeting icebreakers that um, people might be interested in. And then um, my broader website is virtualworkswell.com. And uh, there are additional resources there and information about our programs, training programs, and consulting services. Wonderful. So we can find the book at remoteleadershipbook.com and we can get in contact with Deborah at virtualworkswell.com. Correct. 
Deborah, it, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you today. Thank you for joining us in support of the Center for the Advancement of Virtual Organizations. We truly appreciate your insights and we know our listeners will benefit from your experience. Thank you, Thank you Elizabeth. Thank you.